Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome to the Insomnia Project. Sit back, relax, and listen as we have a conversation about the mundane. One thing that we can promise is that our conversation will be less than fascinating, so you can just feel free to drift off. Thank you for joining us. We hope you will listen and sleep. I'm your host, Marco Timpano. And I'm your co-host, Midikana. Marco... Welcome back. Thank you. It's nice to see you and have you on the other end of the microphone, Nitty. Same here. Um, you've been, for the last two episodes, out um, on the west coast of Canada. Yes. In uh, Vancouver and the surrounding area. And uh, you were able to have a couple of episodes with some folks out there, which were quite enjoyable. Nitty, um, it's actually getting very exciting because... It seems like we're going to be doing more and more episodes from different locations. So I would love to hear from our listeners about locations where they'd like to hear us record from. So feel free to message us or tweet us and let us know. Maybe we'll come to your hometown and record an episode. And of course, you can tweet us, like Marco said, at listen and sleep. Nitty. This is a question that you often ask when you are a child. Oh, and do then, tell. And then it becomes almost apparent as you get to be an adult. You are currently dressed from head to toe in red. I am. So I want you to tell me, what is your favorite color? Marco, that's a great question because I haven't really thought about it in a while. Although, at the moment, I'm sure it would look like red would be my favorite color. Right. Because, as Marco indicated, I am dressed head to toe in red lounge pants and a red sweater. You look quite comfortable, I will say this. It looks like you're warm and comfortable, which is a great place to be when you're listening to The Insomnia Project. I feel like in order to get into the mood and evoke the essence and soul of this podcast that I definitely need to be comfortable. That's how I feel when I'm on a plane. I love to have a warm, comfortable blanket on me. Do you use the plane blankets when you're on a plane? They don't really give blankets out anymore. You have to pay for them. Um, Now I've been traveling with sweaters and, and big and sometimes Amanda will have like a blanket or a long scarf that I'll use as a blanket. But I feel like you're 
avoiding answering the question. You caught me, Marco. What is your favorite color? So I don't have one particular favorite color. However, I can tell you brighter colors. So I enjoy um, like a fuchsia Mm -hmm. or as you can see, the red. Um, I tend to also enjoy deeper colors like jewel tone colors like deep purple right. turquoise I think I'm very lucky because of my skin tone I can wear very bright colors right and um, it just works sure <laughs> for whatever reason you know they say that the color you wear indicates the mood you're in or it reflects the chakra that needs um that's very true i don't know what the term is but like a little bit of revitalization or a little bit of uh i'm sure there's a proper term when you're talking about chakras it needs to be activated a bit more well judging by my red appearance Mm -hmm. today or my red clothing it would be my root chakra there you go um and they also say that Actually, I don't know if it's your clothing that uh, influences this, but the color of your aura also is something that is apparent to some people who have the ability to see sort of that spectrum of light, I guess. I was also told, or I read, I think I was told by my, uh, I want to say my acupuncturist, that um, it reflects the color that is associated with the organ that needs stimulation or help or whatnot. So it's it's interesting that uh, every organ or every sort of system in your body has a color that reflects it. My favorite color. Yes, please tell. It's a good question. I it's interesting because I like to wear black and blues are the colors I like to wear. But I think purple has always been a color or a color of recent note that I've been attracted to, purples and golds. Mm. Um, You know, they say, so I have um, taken part in, you know, personality exercises, et cetera, um, communication exercises, or uh, where you uh, answer a series of questions that puts you on a quadrant. And based on what quadrant you fall into, it indicates your communication style, let's say. So, one of the most recent, um, uh, I guess, theories that I've worked with actually looks at the color that people wear in their clothing to determine their communication style, which is or to help be an indicator of their communication style. So um, people who tend to wear a lot of black, um, however, have pops of color here and there, are referred to as peacocks often, um, which is very much your communication style. I see. Peacocks are um, uh, people, people. Okay. (laughs) Or uh, they tend to be... Um, very social beings. Sure. Uh, they like to take the command oh. of a room, like in a in a good way. Right. Um, they always have a funny story to tell. They mm-hmm. really like to uh, 
it, relationships are very important to them. So you are definitely a peacock. Oh, isn't that interesting? So if I'm a peacock, then we need to know what quadrant you lie in or what was... Uh... I'm predominantly an eagle, right. although my secondary trait is a peacock. Oh, I see. So as an eagle, eagles tend to be very direct communicators. Uh, they're more about um, results-driven. So um, rather than... So for example, to give you an example... Sure. If an eagle is in a meeting and they're leading the meeting, they will have an agenda and they will want to go straight into the meeting. They don't want to chit-chat. I see. They want to see results. They want to get in and out. Whereas a peacock will be like, hi, Nidhi, how was your weekend? And they'll want to chit-chat for a while. Okay, so they'll want to know, sort of, have a little social interaction prior to... Exactly. So... That's fascinating. But you can tell things about the colors that people wear. It's interesting because I start off by saying that, you know, as kids, you always ask, my little niece will say, what's your favorite color? And, you know, that's very important to children, especially when they're learning about colors. I guess that's what brought me to that question what's your favorite color it's amazing how some people when they have a favorite color they have that color all around them everything they get is green yes and you know their plates are green and they wear green jewelry and and whatnot and then some people color is all around them they'll have splashes of color everywhere and then there's people who prefer no color so they stay in whites and grays and, and blacks Now, Marco, when you were decorating your home, let's Mm -hmm. say, with Amanda, did you ever have a clash of colors? Well... Color palettes, let's say? I wanted neutral walls, and I was told that your bedroom, the colors of the wall on your bedroom should be a shade that isn't found in skin tones. So it should run anywhere from the palest, palest color you could find on the spectrum to the darkest, darkest color that you could find on the spectrum. And all colors in between that would be reflective of a person's skin tone. Therefore, colors like green are not great in the bedroom. Colors like blue that aren't skin tones are not great relaxing colors to help you, you know, drift off to sleep and so I was very cognizant of that when I read it and therefore I picked a color called Brazil nut was the name of the of the color so the like color a shade color. of brown tan uh, yeah, like tan like, okay. a, like a light tan okay and then um, I went neutral palette throughout the house and I know that Amanda isn't such a huge fan she'd like to see a little more color so I think the walls this year might get a Fresh, fresh tone of paint. Wow. So we were also talking about you were looking at a picture on the wall and you're like, what a cool frame that is. And, and we started to talk about how people talk about pictures and, and paintings that they've seen. But few people will comment on frames you know, Marco, it's interesting because 
a frame can really make or break a photo in a lot of ways sure. if you have the wrong frame. Right. I was actually at a restaurant the other day, mm -hmm. and they had a wooden oak frame oh. um, that they had actually, they had just purchased the frame. There was no artwork in the frame. It was just a blank frame with no glass or no painting or photo in the frame. You and it was got it. Wall. Wow. You got it. So that's how stunning the frame was mm. and it was about a hundred hundred years old. Wow. So um, it was very unusual but at the same time quite unique. Um, I personally when I go to see the grand European art museums and right. see all the framing that is done there, it's quite spectacular. So I'm always drawn not just to the artwork itself, but to the ornate ways that those works are framed. And I think in any art museum, you'll be able to see something very interesting if you look at the frame as well. Right. You know, I've seen unique things be used as frames. So I saw a child's artwork, and what they had done was they took matchsticks, and they were all lit, and they used the mat. I guess they glued the matchsticks all around the little piece of artwork oh. and used the matchsticks as frames. And I always remember that because... The actual artwork inside was a little candle that they did with cutouts. I think they cut out different paper to make a candle, and then they used matchsticks all around as the frame. And Amazing. I thought that was really a neat, a Good. neat thing I saw. Do you like more modern framing, or do you like more wooden, oaky, antique framing, or does it depend? I think it depends on the subject in the frame. Yes. But I will say that I found a beautiful frame. And rather than put something in the frame to take away from the frame, I took a pretty sheet of wallpaper that I liked and I framed the wallpaper in that frame so that it's just a interesting sort of background that's framed. So it's like, you know, a wallpaper doesn't can just be a pattern so it's kind of like a little interesting pattern but nothing really suggests it's anything you know that stands out but it really highlights the frame that I put it in that's really unique yeah that's really cool Marco mm -hmm. I'll show it to you one time because it's at my cottage oh that's great uh, uh, what about museums we talked about frames I'd love to know about what kind of museums you like, or describe a museum that you went to that you, you found very impressive. So if you were to pick museums for people to visit, what would be your museums? So in January, Marco, I was um, in London, UK, right. visiting some friends, and I finally got to see the Victoria and Albert Museum. And let me tell you, that's really my kind of museum. There was something... So, basically, the Victoria and Albert Museum 
has, um, it's not your typical museum. It's a museum that has uh, a focus on design and fashion and sculpture and there's a whole section on wrought iron um, monuments but with a design element to it it's it's really quite unique and neat and when wow. I was there they had a shoe exhibit really yes and so you got to see shoes from you know hundreds of years ago and it really took you through the ages and the ages of shoes really oddly enough many of the shoes that were in that exhibit were borrowed from the Bada Shoe Museum here in Toronto so I really enjoyed that in Florence there's also speaking of shoes the uh, Salvatore Ferengamo Museum oh I didn't know that where they take you through the um, his shoemaking style and how his shoes have both changed and remained the same mm -hmm. and remained relevant over uh, the modern age and sure. as we get into as it goes on as well that brand so I enjoy those type of museums however I also enjoy your good old you know, your good old The Last Supper, sure. or your good old Vatican Museum. Sure, sure. How about you? Do you have a particular museum in this world that really spoke to you, or that you would like to visit? Yes. So I'm going to pick three museums that I really liked or have significance in my life. Okay, great. And, uh, it's, it's funny we should be talking about that because I was telling a chef today because he was going to New York City and I said, you know what um, museum you should check out? It's in the Lower East Side. And I, discovered, I happened upon this museum in a way that was just so great and it is called the Tenement Museum. Oh, I've never heard of that. So what they did was they took a... And I'm, I'm certain I'm going to get aspects of this wrong, Nitty. So, for those people who want to, and then he's just grabbing herself a, a glass of water, which is probably what you hear in the background there. Um, for those of you who want to find out more, I welcome you to go there, to their website, which we'll, we'll, we'll put on the uh, notes with, the, with this particular episode. But um, basically, they found a, a old tenement building that had been boarded up for years and years and they made a museum that deals with different ages and things that took place in that tenement building and in tenements around New York City. So you get this really unique look at New York City through the ages and you can take a tour and the tour that we took had a woman who lived in that building as a child talking about the room that she lived in and that her parents lived in and uh, it was so fascinating. And I will say this about that particular museum. It had the best, or it has the best gift shop you will find in a museum. So, can we for a moment talk very quickly before you talk about the next couple of museums? Sure. About museum gift shops. Because 
I feel like museum gift shops are um, still somewhat of an unintuitive place to get a gift. However, there are the most remarkable gifts there. In Toronto, for example, if you've gone to either the Art Gallery of Ontario's gift shop sure. or the Royal Ontario Museum's gift shop, they have the most amazing gifts. Right. Unique gifts, gifts that you wouldn't necessarily be able to find anywhere else. So when you're looking for a gift for someone who's hard to buy for, that's where I always tell people, go to the gift shop in a museum and you will find something. Something unique or something that is fun or something that is artistic, you'll find in a museum gift shop. So it's a great place to go, even if you don't have time, another thing. If you're in a city and you don't have time to check out the museum, then I would say go into the museum gift shop and you'll get a sense of what that museum has. Oh, that's very unique. That's a great idea, Marco. I had never thought about that because that makes actual perfect sense because the museum gift shop is supposed to be a reflection of the museum's identity and and mission and the type of exhibits that you would see there. Now, you had two other museums right. that you wanted to talk about, so please, let's hear a bit so, more. So, the other museum, which could be quite predictable, is the Louvre in Paris. Of course. It is impressive. Its collection is outstanding, and it's definitely something not to miss when you're in Paris, in my opinion. And what's particularly interesting is it houses the Mona Lisa. Of course. And a lot of people talk about the Mona Lisa, how it's unimpressive, or that its size is very small, or that its eyes will look at you from every aspect of the room that right. it's in. Right, of course. So I had an expectation that I wouldn't be impressed when I saw the Mona Lisa, but you know how sometimes you think you're going to be underwhelmed, but you're certainly overwhelmed, and that's what happened when I saw the Mona Lisa, only because I found her to be definitely looking at me from all areas of the room that she's in. But her smile to me seemed more like a smirk, and I felt like she was laughing at all the people who were taking photos of her, so I found it to be a very humorous painting, which I never got out of it prior to seeing her in books or in postcards or stamps and whatnot, but when I saw the Mona Lisa in real life, it really struck a chord, a humorous chord with me. That's um, quite fascinating, Marco, because I found when I saw the Mona Lisa in the Louvre, it was, um, I was one of those people who was a bit underwhelmed, mm -hmm. and I think it was because there were you're just so many... I'm an eagle. Right, and I'm a peacock. 100%. Right. No, you were saying, sorry. Um, although I'm sure there's that component of it. I was too impatient with all the people around, which is very, very eagle-like. Right. Yes. So, in its trait or tendency. <laughs> so, there you go. And what was the third one? The last museum, which has particular significance to me, is the McMichael Gallery in oh. Kleinberg, Ontario. Wow, this is a great story. And uh, I've always loved the McMichael Gallery because it's kind of in my backyard from where I grew up. 
So I grew up not too far from it. And I remember as a child going to that particular museum in school and just loving it. And the McMichael Gallery houses the Group of Sevens artwork. So if you haven't um, seen the Group of Sevens artwork, uh, it's a, a grand group of uh, artists from Canada that does a lot of uh, nature scenes in a very um, vibrant way. and so I recommend you look that up but I've always loved that museum and my wife prior to us uh, even uh, dating knew that I loved the work by the group of seven so for my birthday one year she bought me a print of the group of seven and I'm pointing to it right now so Nitty can see it and it's by Lauren Harris Harris yes. who is one of my favorite artists of the group of seven and uh, it is a picture of a man on a on a horse carriage pulling fence posts and it looks like Marco in the background that either the sun is rising or setting. Right, and it's called a load of fence posts. And it's my favorite painting by a member of the group of seven. And um, that's where I proposed to my wife in order of that particular painting. So for me, the McMichael Gallery has a lot of significance. And I recommend if you are in Southern Ontario to take a trip to Kleinberg and check out the McMichael Gallery. And that's where I, I end my mu museum tour. Thank you for that, uh, Marco, because I think uh, the listeners now have a few museums to check out around the globe. Before we go, I wanted to mention um, we received a lovely email from Denise Corvo, one of our listeners, and uh, she wanted to mention that uh, in one of our previous episodes, we talked about Première Moisson, the bakery in Montreal. We were trying to figure out the translation, and Denise tells us that it is... First Harvest is the correct translation. So thank you, Denise. Thank you for listening and for all of our listeners out there. We hope um, you've enjoyed today's podcast. You can catch us at any time at Listen and Sleep. As always, we're produced by Drumcast Productions, and we're back in Toronto recording this episode. <laughs>